You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, April 27th, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon explains updates in campus news, and then I cover how Colorado is soon going to receive another congressional district. After that, Dixon Lawson updates us on CSU's athletics teams, and then you hear a conversation between Ivy Winfrey and Julie Phillips with Casa of Larimer County about the Human Beings Partnership for Child Abuse Prevention Month. Then, Jacob Selby tells us about air quality and travel options for vaccinated Americans. Then, Maddie Erskine speaks to local indie pop duo Modern about their musical inspirations and strategies. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and speaking to Piper Russell from the Collegian about wildlife or wildfire recovery. To conclude the show, Coda explains new updates from Apple, and I'll tell you about how a woman was wanted for felony embezzlement over a 20-year-old VHS rental. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hello, everyone. I'm Ellie Shannon, and thanks for listening in on my weekly newscast. We have about three weeks left in the semester, which means only three weeks until summer break. The Colorado Energy Research Collaboratory will host the 21st Century Energy Transition Symposium May 4th through 5th and the 14th. It will be held virtually and registration for the event will be required. The Energy Transition Symposium celebrates its ninth year and serves as an educational event driven to find solutions for the world's energy challenges, according to Ann Manning of CSU's College News. The collaboratory includes Colorado State University, University of Colorado Boulder, Colorado School of Mines, and the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Bill Ritter, Colorado's 41st governor and director of CSU's Center for the New Energy Economy, will be providing opening remarks as well as serve as the symposium's honorary chair. Brian Wilson, CSU's Energy Institute Executive Director, will also be in attendance on May 5th to discuss the future of combustion in a zero-carbon world on a panel. To register for the event, go to web.cvent.com. CSU's Army ROTC has been completing a study for the past two years in partnership with the Department of Health and Exercise Science to determine the best training methods. The newly proposed Army Combat Fitness Test includes deadlifts, farmer carries, sled pulls, and much more. Improvement is at the heart of the study, CSU's College News' Joe Giordano states. Alyssa Newman, a research associate who closely worked on the study with Barry Braun, professor and HES department head, stated that with tracking cadet training date, they've been noticing improvements in fitness. Newman also stated that it is crucial that cadets get one-on-one training with health and exercise science students to help track their improvement. More updates on the study will continue. CSU's Maximin Lab plans to begin exploring possible links to electronic cigarettes and viral infections. The study is asking for participants between the ages of 18 and 30 to complete a nasal swab in exchange for a small payment if they qualify. The study asks for 50 participants with recent vaping exposure and 50 without exposure. Cheryl Magsman, Associate Professor of Epidemiology in the Department of Environmental and Radiological Health Sciences, spoke to Natalie Wayland of the Collegian, stating, quote, We wanted to try to understand vaping behaviors as well as the changes that happen in your respiratory system when you vape or when you're exposed to vaping, end quote. 
If anyone is interested in this study, contact ERHS underscore Maximin underscore lab at colostate.edu. Saliva tests are still available at Mac Gym, Moby Arena parking lot, and the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus. Students can register and schedule a time for that online. Make sure to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. as well. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to KCSU on 90.5 FM. Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your local news for today. Nine Larimer County schools were among the 28 new outbreaks of COVID-19 in Larimer County over the last week. According to Pat Ferrier and Molly Bohannon at the Coloradoan, Larimer County saw 28 new outbreaks of COVID-19 in the state's latest report, one of the highest weekly totals since the pandemic began. However, the number of cases associated with each outbreak remains relatively small. Of the 28 new outbreaks, 10 are at schools and child care centers. The state defines an outbreak as two or more cases at a site within a 14-day span. There are now 106 active outbreaks in Larimer County, with 4,077 people testing positive. 374 outbreaks have been resolved since the pandemic began, according to county and state data reported on Wednesday. Excluding Colorado State University, which has had 2,894 reported positive cases since October, the county lists 1,183 cases associated with outbreaks since the start of the pandemic. The biggest newly reported outbreak included 15 members of a construction crew working on new express lanes on Interstate 25. Other large outbreaks were reported at K-12 schools. Bacon Elementary School on 5844 South Timberline Road in Fort Collins saw 10 cases, and Turner Middle School on 950 Massachusetts Avenue in Berthoud reported 8. Both outbreaks had an onset date of April 19th. Lesher Middle School has seven cases, according to the data, and Cruz Elementary has six cases. All other newly reported outbreaks had fewer than five positive cases. Nine of the 28 new outbreaks came from K-12 schools, with the majority being reported at elementary schools. Poudre School District spokesperson Madeline Noblet says that, as of April 21st, two classes were in remote learning at Bacon Elementary. She says the district was seeing case connections between siblings and that, out of an abundance of caution, seven additional classrooms were sent to remote learning on Thursday. Students in those classes won't receive official quarantine orders, but Noblet says the decision was made in hopes of limiting potential spread. Joe Vodonjowski, Thompson School District's safety and security manager, estimated that 50 students were quarantined following the Turner Middle School outbreak. He couldn't confirm if any classrooms were quarantined, but it says that the district does complex contact tracing to ensure as many students as possible can stay in class. Cases at schools with the new outbreaks are far more common in students than staff. Students made up 87% of the 54 cases across the sites. Other schools that reported outbreaks this week were Cruz Elementary School with six cases, Dunn Elementary, Laurel Elementary, Rivendale School of Northern Colorado, and Shepherdson Elementary, all with four cases, and Walt Clark Middle School in Loveland with three cases. Colorado will be gaining its first new congressional district in 20 years, but the decision on where it will be located is still to be determined. 
According to Justin Winterger at the Denver Post, the U.S. Census Bureau announced Monday that Colorado will be gaining a seat in Congress after gaining more than 700,000 people during the 2010s. It also marks the first time in 20 years since the 7th district's creation north and west of Denver in 2001 that Colorado gains representation in the U.S. House of Representatives. It isn't clear where Colorado's 8th congressional district will be placed. That's the job of the Colorado Independent Congressional Redistricting Commission, a panel of a dozen citizens who are tasked with reshaping the state's congressional map for the next decade. The commission, which was chosen by random drawing, has until December to draw the map, and the 8th congressional district seat will be first up for election in 2022. All 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives are reapportioned every 10 years in accordance with census results on population. States that have grown to the point of gaining a seat are Colorado, Oregon, Montana, Florida, North Carolina, and Texas, which will add two. States that will lose a seat due to population declines or modest population gains are California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Commissioners and political observers across Colorado anticipated Monday's announcement for months. In 2019, the legislator set aside $6 million for census outreach with hopes of counting more Coloradoans and adding a congressional seat, and in early census estimates hinted at an 8th district. That's the local news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Stay tuned after the break. You'll be hearing from our RMR sports directors with the Rocky Mountain Review Sports Report. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Dixon Lawson, and you're tuned into the RMR Sports Report for Tuesday, April 27th. To start off, we are going to recap the weekend. We're going to head back to Saturday. We had three big events going on. We'll start off with tennis. Early in the morning, they were taking on, it was women's tennis, taking on Utah State out in Utah. They were winners 4-3 in that one. After that, we're going to move on to softball. Three games against UNLV this weekend, two on Saturday and one on Sunday. The first game was only or only went to five innings as it was a one to nine uh, mercy rule. Uh, these games were also all played in Fort Collins. And then the second game was a 0-1 to loss as well for the softball team against UNLV. Going on to Saturday, we had once again tennis still out in Utah. They were taking on 
Boise State. This was a loss 2-4. to four. For softball, they did finally turn it around in the three-game series. They got an 8-7 to seven win in Fort Collins at home. We now look ahead to what is currently happening right now as you're listening to this report. We just had a softball game finish up against UNC. The results were not in at the time of this recording, but the second game is about to kick off. Starts at 4.30 against UNLV in Fort Collins, Colorado, so if you have a chance, be sure to swing by. That will be a doubleheader between UNC, and that is going to do it for the week in terms of sports. My name has been Dixon Lawson, and you're tuned into the RMR Sports Report for Tuesday, April April 27th. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Today I'm joined by Julie Phillips, the Community Engagement Specialist for Court-Appointed Special Advocates of Larimer County. Here to talk with us about CASA of Larimer County, as well as its Child Abuse Prevention Month partnership with the Human Being Cafe going on today. The Human Being will donate 10% of all of its sales to the CASA of Larimer County. Ms. Phillips, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Hi, yeah, thank you for having me. So for those of our audience who may be unfamiliar, will you be able to give us a little bit of info about what CASA is and what it does? Yeah, definitely. So as you mentioned, CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates, and we are a nonprofit located in Larimer County, and it's our mission to advocate for children who've experienced abuse and neglect. We train community volunteers to be that voice for a child who's experienced abuse and neglect because oftentimes their voice wouldn't have been heard in the courtroom if it wasn't for a court-appointed special advocate. We do thorough training with our volunteers so that they're comfortable on their cases. They're appointed one case at a time and stay through the duration, which is typically 12 to 18 months. We also have another program which provides supervised visitation in exchange for non-custodial parents so that they're able to visit with their children in a safe home-like setting. I understand that right now it is Child Abuse Prevention Month. Um, Would you be able to tell us a bit about the work CASA of Larimer County does during Child Abuse Prevention Month and uh, a little bit about the human being promotion? Yes, definitely. So yes, April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. And we are really emphasizing that we all individually and collectively play a role in ending child abuse. We all play a part in being the solution for these children. So for April, for Child Abuse Prevention Month, we have been really working on spreading awareness about the rates of child abuse and neglect in Larimer County and what people like you or me could do to help. So we have been partnering with the human being throughout the month as a social media campaign. And today we are the guest baristas handing out pinwheels, which pinwheels are the sign for child abuse prevention because they're a reminder of the great childhoods that we want for all children. So at the human being today, we were passing out pinwheels, informing them a little bit about Child Abuse Prevention Month, and 10% of all sales went to Casa of Larimer County, and you can still get coffee today at any time today before they close, and they will donate um, 10% to us, and there's also a tip, or not a tip jar, a donation box for Casa as well. How big of an issue is child abuse in Larimer County? Yeah, so there's about 600 children in Larimer County who have a dependency and neglect case, which means they've been abused or neglected and now are in the child welfare system. 
We currently serve about 50% of those children, and it is our goal to provide an advocate for every child in Larimer County who needs one. So we need more volunteers. Also, for every report of child abuse to go unreported. And now our numbers are going back up because they had gone down a little bit during 2020, during the pandemic, when these children aren't seeing those teachers, those doctors, those people who typically make those reports for child abuse and neglect. But now that things are opening back up, children are back in school, our numbers are rising, and we have many children on the wait list. So what will the money from the partnership uh, with the human being be going towards today? Yeah, so that money that is donated today will go towards continuing our mission because we are an independent nonprofit organization that relies on donations and volunteers to continue. Money helps us continue training new advocates because as I've mentioned, we want to have an advocate for every child in Larimer County who needs one, but we provide a 30 to 40 hour extensive pre-service training. So donations today will go to that. It will go to our supervised visitation and exchange center. What we do here is we also coach parents using an evidence-based trauma-informed initiative. That money will help us continuing to coach parents and reunite those families because we want to strengthen families and have better and happier childhoods in our community. I know you said that the promotion is still going on throughout today. If listeners wanted to head over to the human being and show their support, which location is it happening at? Yeah, it's happening at the North College location, or you can also make donations at the South College location near CSU. Where can people go to find out more about Casa of Larimer County? Yeah, so you can visit our website, casalarimer.com. We are also on social media, Facebook, we're at Casa of Larimer County, and on Instagram at Casa of Larimer. And my name is Julie Phillips, and I'm the point of contact for getting involved with Casa of Larimer County. And my email address is julie at casaoflarimer.com. All right, that's all the questions I have. Again, I have been speaking with Julie Phillips with Casa of Larimer County. The Casa of Larimer County promotion of the human being where 10% of their proceeds will be donated to Casa of Larimer County is happening today. Ms. Phillips, thanks so much for joining us today. Yep, thank you. Hello, you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins 90.5 FM. I'm Jacob Selby, and these are the national news highlights for Tuesday, April 27th. 
New data released about the level of air pollution in the U.S. shows that western states lead the way for having the cleanest air on average. According to Kai Hubbard of U.S. News, U.S. air quality typically improved annually over the past couple decades, with the air quality in the western U.S. having the biggest improvements. Approximately 82 million Americans live in counties where air pollution exceeds safe living standards despite a gradual improvement since the 1980s. Air quality in the U.S. began to improve slowly over time after the Clean Air Act established national air pollution standards and set forth a framework for reducing commercial and residential pollution. This includes, but was not limited to, scrubbing coal emissions for pollutants such as nitrogen oxides and sulfur dioxide, which contribute to acid rain, as well as incentivizing the use of catalytic converters on cars for the same reasons. In 1980, the average air quality index stood at a moderate level of 59.6%. Today, the number drastically reduced to 34.3%, well within the good air quality index. While overall quality has improved, air quality varies drastically depending on where you are. For example, Los Angeles in the western U.S. has a reputation for having very poor air quality. In 1980, the states with the best AQIs were Hawaii, North Dakota, and Vermont. Today, the leading state is still Hawaii, followed by Washington and Idaho. Hawaii's high air quality is primarily due to its lack of mass industrialization, constant sea breeze, and distance from global industrial centers, Honolulu being the most geographically isolated large city in the world. In 2020, California averages the worst AQI nationally, followed by Arizona and Utah. However, Arizona ranks last in urban air quality, having fallen from an AQI of 93.7 in 1980 to still almost 46% in 2020. However, despite the AQI having fallen so sharply over the past three decades, many critics have pointed out that this period of time corresponds with a vast amount of heavy industry moving overseas, specifically to avoid tighter regulations by the U.S. government. Consequently, the changes to the U.S. AQI resulted in little change to global emissions and also resulted in the loss of industry, leaving many former major industrial areas in the U.S., such as the Great Lakes, impoverished. While the U.S. was once the world's leading manufacturer, much of the heavy industry employed in America has been shipped to third-world countries where operations can happen at a fraction of the cost. Increasing rates of COVID-19 vaccinations in the U.S. could mean that individuals who receive all of their shots may be allowed to travel to EU nations as soon as summer 2021. According to Tim Stillo of NBC News, more Americans visit the EU on average than any other bloc of nations or geographic region in the world. Ursula von der Leyen of the EU's executive body has said that Americans may be allowed to finally start visiting countries in Europe again on the condition that they are fully vaccinated. Von der Leyen says the proof of vaccination by a drug company approved by the EU will allow visitors to the free bloc movement within the EU countries. Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson are all approved vaccines by the EU and will be taken as evidence for travel approval uh, by the 27 member countries. Talks between the U.S. Department of State and the EU are underway to begin a framework for how vaccinated individuals from both sides could begin to travel internationally to each other's respective countries. The U.S. is likely to impose similar restrictions on EU citizens who intend to visit our nation. The time frame and exact date of reopening to Americans who wish to visit the EU is still unclear. 
The EU imposed travel restrictions on most foreigners in March of 2020, which included Americans. The EU has also declined to allow Americans into the bloc when travel was reopened last July. The United States Supreme Court took up its first major gun rights case in decades. According to Scott Newman of NPR News, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to take up a lower court ruling which upheld New York State's restrictive gun permit law. The issue at stake is how much the Second Amendment upholds the rights of individuals to conceal carry firearms outside of their home for the purpose of self-defense. The practice of concealed carry firearms became increasingly popular in recent years, with more people than ever now choosing to arm themselves with handguns when in public. It is estimated that more than 3 million Americans carry loaded concealed firearms with them every day. The lower court decision to be more restrictive in allowing people to obtain concealed carry permits follows a recent chain of shootings in Colorado, Georgia, Indiana, and California, as well as a national surge in gun ownership followed by the George Floyd protests in 2020. Minority and female gun ownership is at its highest level ever in American history, with many people of color and women choosing to arm themselves in fear for their safety. New York and seven other states currently have restrictions which prohibit gun owners from carrying their firearms when outside of their home without a license to do so. In contrast, Colorado requires training and a license accompanied by a full criminal background check to conceal carry firearms. In 2008 and 2010 respectively, the Supreme Court overturned handgun bans in Washington, D.C. and Chicago. These cases redefined gun rights in the U.S. and gave significantly more leverage to gun advocates. In those cases, the court ruled that the right to bear arms is an individual right and not restricted to the rights of militias, as was previously interpreted. The decision was highly controversial and has allowed extensive rights and security to the ownership of guns by individuals. With the sunsetting of the federal assault weapons ban in 2004 and the Supreme Court decisions of 2008 and 2010, ownership of military assault weapons is at its highest rate ever, with production of military-grade weapons altered for civilian sales at an all-time high as well. While gun control advocates work to restrict access to high-capacity and modern military-grade firearms, they become increasingly prolific with every passing year. That's all for the National News Highlights. I'm Jacob Selby, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins 90.5 FM. Be sure to always check out the Rocky Mountain Review, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. or online at kcsufm.com news and on Spotify under the KCSU News Podcast. Now we're going to be featuring Maddie Erskine's interview with local pop indie duo Modern, and their members are Charlie, who uses they-he pronouns, and Sophia, who uses she-her pronouns. 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Maddie Erskine. I hope everyone is enjoying their Sunday. Welcome to this week's Live in Studio. I am here with a local pop duo, Modern. Thank you for joining me today. To kick it off, Modern is going to play their song, Complicated, here live on 90.5 KCSU. Tell me. 
heard complicated by modern we met in elementary school oh really that's so that's such a fun time yeah. so long ago the good days the good days <laughs> how, how do y'all meet in elementary school were you in the same class or mm-hmm. yeah we were math class right yeah yeah we we're having like we we're doing surgery on legos so that's where we bonded mm-hmm. didn't know how to divide when we got to fifth grade because we were yeah. playing with legos but Eh, that's fine. Dividing's not like a, uh, you can play with Legos until as long as you want, right? Like there's no Lego limit. Uh, dividing, you don't need that every day. No. Legos, you could use every day. Yeah. That is just the facts. <laughs> um, so who are just some other musicians that you look up to in form in like terms of like instruments and um, lyrics and just style? Like who do you really like look up to? Yeah. I would say we're pretty different. Very yeah, different. You, you can answer separately. But 
Yeah, uh, together, I would say. Paris? Par- yeah, Paris, definitely. Mm-hmm. A little 1975 for the like, pop. Yeah. yeah. Like, first two albums, 1975. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. She likes electronic music more than I do. Yeah. I like math rock. She doesn't like that uh, very much. I, I'm a, I'm, I like math rock, too, I would say. That's one of my more guilty pleasures. <laughs> I love pop music. I don't know. I'm very simple and basic, I guess. Nah, I don't think that's basic. I think it's just, it's just a genre of music. So um, that song you just played for us, Complicated, that's part of your first EP, Bloom. Um, I'd just love to know a bit more about what that process was like and how it felt to release it to the world this December. Long time in yeah. the making. I mean, we've had those songs, like, start thinking of, like, the first time that we had, like, a demo, I guess, ready for Bloom. We've had it for, like... Two, two years, years. I three, think. Yeah. yeah, almost three years. So it was a long time. It was, um, I think a lot of it is was laziness. Yeah. <laughs> like going through everything to put it on Spotify um, and like. <laughs> yep, yep. I actually understand. It's really hard. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of effort. You'd think it would be easy, but it's, it's actually a lot. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was a lot of procrastinating. And then um, the, like the production side of it because i mean we're yeah we don't have a lot of money to spend to like go to a studio and <laughs> um like get anything like professionally mastered so learn the time to like learn to do it mm-hmm. ourselves to the best of our ability i think so it turned it out just, great especially for a self-produced kind of yeah Appreciate self-producing that. is hard yeah. <laughs> yeah awesome well i think it's time we get back to some music um, apology is up next another modern original Out 
KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome back to this week's In Studio. I am here with Modern. They just played Apology for us today. Thank you so much for being here. Happy we were able to get it worked out <laughs> this time. Right? What's like your songwriting process like, especially with those drum lines? I just love all of the drum lines in your music. Um, How do you get those drum lines going? Yeah. It's like one of the last parts. Yeah, we don't have a space, so like we don't want to be loud in our apartment. And then what about some of the other songwriting aspects? We recently discovered that we can no longer write songs the way that we used to at first. Like like just jamming together. Oh, yeah. And like just mm-hmm. playing. Because we've gotten so used to like come up with a part, record it, put it in Ableton, and then like do loops and add. And then so it's it's a much different kind of songwriting process I guess that we've switched to but that's generally what it is so it's like one of us will come up with an idea or something it's very it's very laptop focused I know maybe some people don't want to hear that but it is (laughs) (laughs) but it is um yeah and so for listeners too um some of that like keys that you're hearing and stuff is a backing track that they're playing along with um Two people can't play that many instruments at once it's a bit impossible (laughs) so yeah no I think the backing track makes it really fun. Um, do you record those like key parts yourself? Just slowly crank them all out. That well, or, that one in particular was it was it was like a sound on a keyboard, so that was like mm-hmm. just direct audio in. But for the most part, just to try and keep it clean, we usually do MIDI. Nice. So yeah. Nice. Well, what are some of the effects that you hope your music has on listeners? Have fun. Yeah, like. I don't know. It's I think, a tough question. yeah. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Both of us, I think, for the most part, listen to music just to enjoy it. Yeah. And I hope it brings something different. It was getting me dancing, so hopefully, mm, it's yeah. getting listeners <laughs> dancing too, right? Yeah. Something different. We just wanted to have fun. Yeah. When, I yeah. think fun is what it should definitely be all about. Um, so unfortunately, live shows are kind of on the pause. Um, but 
I actually have seen you guys play live before, which was oh, super fun. Uh, people in general and uh, my dog ate chat at Hotel Hillcrest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Long ago, <laughs> long ago. So just what are some of the things you miss about live live performing? Is it something you miss, something you're glad you had some time in the studio or just anxious to get back out there? Um, I mean, it was, it was just kind of a bummer. Because, yeah. like, we had, I think, like, five shows that got canceled because mm-hmm. of COVID. With, like, understandably, but yeah. um, I think it's just we haven't played in front of people. And we're subject to nerves pretty easily. So, like, mm-hmm. it's been, like, a year and a half without playing in front of people. <laughs> yeah. And so we kind of, like, I think keeping stage presence is difficult. And then just being, just being able to be loud. Yeah. I miss being able to be loud. Because, yeah. like, yep. we live in an apartment. So. That's that's another fun one. Yeah. I had someone come on this show a few weeks ago who was living in her dorm still. Oof. And I was like, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Imagine the drums in the dorms. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, I, don't think, uh, I don't think the RA would appreciate that. Probably not. No. I'm just, like, neighbors don't love the loud drums in the middle of the night. <laughs> Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Of course. Is there anything else that you'd like to let listeners know before we wrap it up? I mean, we don't have anything coming up, but Spotify. I mean, we're on Bandcamp too, but nice, fantastic, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you all for tuning in to this week's in studio. If you missed any part of this session, do not fear; it will be up on our website, kcsufm.com. My name is Maddie Erskine, local music director, and thank you all so much for tuning in to ninety point five. KCSU Fort Collins. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. In about eight minutes, we'll be hearing updates in Apple through tech news. I'm Cota Babcock, and you're listening to COVID-19 Updates. Colorado State University reports over 3,200 cases of COVID-19 among students, staff, and faculty at the university. Due to students moving online, new daily cases decreased drastically over the past two weeks. COVID-19 screening is still available through CSU, and registration is available at covid.colostate.edu. Larimer County reports a medium risk score and ranks at level blue, caution, on the county's dial framework for COVID-19-related issues. The county reports a little under 25,000 cases, along with 235 deaths. 480 outbreaks are reported, and over 272,000 people have been vaccinated in the county. Larimer County recently edited their COVID-19 risk evaluation, which reports a 7-day case rate of 186 cases of COVID-19 per 100,000 residents as of Monday. 37 COVID patients receive treatment in area hospitals and intensive care units are at around 90% capacity. In the past week, about 5% of tests administered have come back positive in Larimer County. The state of Colorado reports over 500,000 cases and over 6,300 deaths due to COVID-19. Colorado has tested 2.8 million people and reports over 4,700 outbreaks. All Colorado residents over the age of 16 are eligible for COVID-19 vaccinations, and the state resumed the Johnson & Johnson vaccine's usage after evaluating risks. 
The United States reports over 32.1 million cases of COVID-19 and 572,000 deaths nationally. Cases are down by 20%, while deaths are down by 2% in the past two weeks. 29% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated, and 42% of the population received at least one dose as of Monday. The best methods in COVID-19 prevention for those not currently immune to the virus through vaccination include washing your hands regularly, using hand sanitizer, wearing face masks, and keeping social distance from others outside of your household. KCSU reminds listeners that face masks are required in public regardless of vaccination status, and vaccinated individuals can still be asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19. Information from this segment comes from CSU's COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control, and the New York Times. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. Next up on the Rocky Mountain Review, we are hearing from Piper Russell of the Collegian. Today, I'm joined by Piper Russell from the Collegian to talk about her story about wildfire recovery going into the summer. Can you tell us a little bit about how intensely the fires impacted open spaces and wildfires in Colorado? Yeah, so the Cameron Peak fire affected it pretty intensely because it was the largest wildfire in Colorado history. And there is a lot of like burned land along the Poudre River and Highway 14. And then there's also quite a bit of burned land around the reservoirs owned by Greeley that um, go into the Poudre River. And then why are people concerned about the damage in terms of water quality? With the summer coming, um, people are concerned about runoff from the burned areas reaching the Poudre River and then eventually into the water treatment facility. So that can kind of cause fire-related odor and taste in the water. So that's what people are concerned about. And then how are local governments working to protect water quality and handle the damage from the fires? The city of Fort Collins is monitoring the water quality and availability for ash and sediment. Um, They monitor water quality in the um, Poudre River, Horseshoe Reservoir, and also the treated drinking water. Um, And then there are two early warning water quality alert systems on the Poudre water that are there to detect changes in water quality, like ash or sediment. Why is there a focus on these efforts specifically as we move into summer? So the spring and summer months kind of increase water demand. So um, again, and also we're starting to get that runoff. That's the concern because there will be more runoff that has the potential to reach the Poudre River and water treatment facility. For sure. And then this hasn't been exclusively a government effort. So what are some of the organizations that have been supporting the government in this recovery process? The Natural Resources Conservation Service, U.S. Forest Service, and then some nonprofit watershed groups um, and other water providers are also helping to recover from the wildfires. And then the Coalition for the Poudre River Watershed is also a nonprofit organization working on helping. And then also some other local community organizations like Trout Unlimited, the Bohemian Foundation, and Colorado Water Conservation Board are also helping out with recovery efforts. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, No, I think that's it. All right. Thanks so much again. That was Piper Russell from The Collegian to talk about her story, which is currently available at collegian.com. We'll be right back after a quick break with Tech News Highlights.
And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Piper Russell of the Collegian and the continued recovery efforts from last year's wildfires. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are tech news highlights for Tuesday. Apple launched a new option for users to control who has access to their data and how it can be used. According to Laurel Wamsley at National Public Radio, this comes with the latest iOS update, 14.5. Users experience a pop-up when using apps asking about whether they consent to the app tracking activity within other apps and websites operated by different companies. This means that users can opt out of targeted advertising, which is used by Facebook and a variety of other platforms. In a video released by Apple, they say, quote, Some apps have trackers embedded in them that have more data than they need, sharing it with third parties like advertisers and data brokers. They collect thousands of pieces of information about you to create a digital profile that they sell to others, end quote. They also went on to say that apps have an average of six trackers that harvest user data for the purpose of targeted advertising. In other news, Apple announced an East Coast expansion along with plans to build an Apple campus in North Carolina. According to Sophie Tulp and Brian Anderson at the Associated Press, Apple says they're emphasizing operations in the U.S. in hopes of supporting the economy in recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. This includes plans to hire 20,000 new employees, which doubles their current hiring plans. $1 billion will be invested in the campus in North Carolina, which will be in Research Triangle Park in the Raleigh-Durham area. Apple expects to bring the state 3,000 new jobs with average salaries around $185,000. North Carolina's Commerce Department says the project is estimated to generate nearly $2 billion in annual revenue for the state for 40 years. That's all for Tech News Highlights. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Hello there. My name is Abby Winfrey, and sometimes you need to get a little bit weirder. So here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. A woman has been charged with felony embezzlement for not returning a Sabrina the Teenage Witch VHS tape she allegedly rented 21 years ago. According to Erica Stantish at ABC7 News, Karen McBride was attempting to change her name on her driver's license after getting married only to find that she was a wanted felon for not returning a rented copy of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. McBride says she never even rented the VHS tape, saying, quote, I have lived with a young man, and this was over 20 years ago. He had two kids, daughters that were 8, 10, or 11 years old, and I'm thinking he went and got it and just didn't take it back or something. I don't know. I've never watched that show in my entire life, just not my cup of tea, end quote. Online documents show McBride was charged with felony embezzlement of rented property in March of 2000. The VHS was rented at the movie place in Norman, Oklahoma, which went out of business in 2008. Ed Blau with Blau Law Firm told KOKH News that even though there's technically no victim in the case, because the charges were filed and a warrant was issued against McBride, Cleveland County could still prosecute this case. McBride says over the last 20 years, she's been let go from several jobs without being given a reason why, and now it all makes sense. When they run her criminal background check, they see the words felony embezzlement. On April 21st, the Oklahoma City DA's office said it decided to dismiss the case against McBride, but Blau says that she still needs to have the case expunged in order to clear her record. A Japanese man has been charged with fraud after it was discovered that he had told each of his 25 girlfriends a different date was his birthday in order to receive gifts year-round. 
According to Samuya Argawal at Times Now News, Akashi Miyagawa was arrested after several of his alleged girlfriends collaborated to turn him into the police. The part-time wor worker from the Kansai region of Japan in in the south of Japan, told all the women that he had different birthdays in a bid to make sure that he had a constant supply of presents. He told a 47-year-old lover that his birthday was on February 22nd. To another 40-year-old woman, he said that his birthday was in July, yet another woman was informed that his birthday was in April. His real birthday, reportedly, falls on November 14th. A total of 35 women fell victim to Miyagawa, as per Japanese news site Sora News 24. However, there is also a possibility that he may have scammed even more, according to a statement by police. Miyagawa has been accused of scamming the women out of over 100,000 Japanese yen, or a little over $1,000 in birthday presents, clothes, and cash. Miyagawa also apparently worked at a marketing company where he sold showerheads and reportedly sold these showerheads to the woman he scammed. A gender reveal party with over 80 pounds of explosives was so huge that it set off earthquake detectors. According to Helen Sullivan at The Guardian, police in Kingston, New Hampshire, received reports of a loud explosion the evening of April 20th. They responded to Tamara Quarry, where they found people who acknowledged holding a gender reveal party with explosives. The source of the blast was 80 pounds of tannerite, police say. The family thought the quarry would be the safest spot to light the explosive, which is typically sold over the counter as a target for firearms practice, according to the police. NBC10 Boston reports that nearby residents said that the blast rocked their homes and some reported property damage. Police say there were no reported injuries and that the person who bought and detonated the explosives has turned himself into police. He was not identified. MBS Los Angeles reports the police said they had seen a video of the reveal and could confirm that the child was a boy. An investigation was ongoing and they'll make a determination on charges. The blast was the latest in a series of dramatic and hazardous gender reveals. The practice, during which expectant parents announced the sex of their soon-to-be-born infants in elaborate ways, became popular about a decade ago. In March, two pilots were killed when their plane crashed into the waters off Cancun when it was streaming a pink substance as a part of a gender reveal. In 2020, smoke-generating pyrotechnic devices used as part of a California gender reveal party caused a fire that damaged more than 7,000 acres of land. In April 2017, an off-duty U.S. Border Patrol agent, Dennis Dickey, caused $8 million worth of damage to 47,000 acres of Arizona forest when he shot at the target of full blue-colored explosives as a means of announcing the gender of his unborn child. That's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. Now, for the weather.
Today we experienced cloudy skies and rain with a high of 55 and a low of 39, along with 15 mile per hour winds. Wednesday, Fort Collins sees rain showers, although they'll be scattered throughout the day with a high of 60 and a low of 41 degrees, with the same winds as Tuesday. Thursday will start to warm up and the clouds will begin moving out, with a high of 68 and a low of 45, with winds slowing down to 8 miles per hour and no chance of rain. And for Friday, you'll have to tune in to our next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Our next episode airs Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. I'm Coda Babcock, and information from this report comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Asher Corrin, Stephanie Kiel, Hannah Copeland, Portia Cook, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Matt Gosmarati, Lindsay Johnson, Sam Benefe, Maddie Erskine, Samuel Bailey, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.